As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Payne. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to put in Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tampered with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here with two of my favorite guys from the company, two of my favorite guys on the planet, John Krasinski, Jovan Buha. What's up, gentlemen? How are we? What's up, Sam? How's it going? Yo- Jovan, let's go. Let's hear the raspiness. Yeah. Let's hear the raspiness. I'll try to muster it, muster it up there. Like the Smelly Cat uh, episode of Friends. <laughs> Jovan's playing hard today, not feeling too good. Uh, Jovan, of course, Lakers beat extraordinary. And then some John, Mr. All Things Minnesota. Um, guys, before uh, the news of the day, uh, we had planned on coming on here to talk shop about all things FIBA World Cup takeaways on your two particular beats you know, John with Anthony Edwards, Jovan with Austin Reeves, and we are still certainly going to do that. Uh, but sometimes the the headlines kind of write themselves. And today, breaking news from our Sham Sharania and Joe Varden, who, by the way, did a fantastic job covering the entire World Cup tournament in the Philippines and beyond. Um, it did not take long for the the Avengers, as everybody is calling them, to step forward and, and decide to announce uh, through media channels that the big boys are coming for the Olympics. Uh, you know, the Team USA, you know, listen, it is what it is. They finished fourth in the World Cup, you know, tough enough that they lose to Germany and don't get to the championship game, the gold medal game, but then they fall to Canada. Uh, and a matter of hours later, um, Shams and Joe are reporting that LeBron James, at, uh, at this when the Olympics roll around, he'll be 39 years old, is leading a, a group that has had extensive conversations already about playing in the Paris Olympics next summer. That group includes Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Jason Tatum, Draymond Green, 
Uh, that is the kind of LeBron team, if you will, uh, separately and and also, you know, as elite. Uh, Phoenix is Devin Booker, Portland's Damian Lillard, the Kings, De'Aaron Fox, and Dallas is Kyrie Irving. Um, essentially, all of those guys are either well uh, ready to commit now um, or have serious interest. A long ways from Paris, guys, but but you know if that doesn't, I'm sure make the the Team USA group from uh, FIBA just feel warm and fuzzy when they got up this morning. I'm sure it, you know that, that had to be a little tough. How did that that news hit you guys? Yeah, I mean, I thought that this was honestly always going to be the case, just given you know Paris. Uh, you know, destination city Olympics obviously are always bigger deal for the U S uh, than the world championships or the world cup, those things like that. Um, but certainly coming out, it, it's easier for them to act the hero uh, coming off of a little bit of a disappointing finish for the Americans and not meddling. And so this, uh, this clears the runway for, Hey, here we come to save the day again and, 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 and let the narrative go. And, um, what I like most about it though, is that it really does show where the game is at, at a global level. Like if the Americans don't bring their a squad, you're not going to win. Not only are you not going to win, you might not even medal. And, and so, um, I just, I think that it shows the strength of the game worldwide. We're seeing it in the NBA with all the international players who are kind of leading the way now, but, um, this, it, you, you have to mean business if you're team USA, if you want to compete nowadays, and that's kind of fun. <clears throat> yeah, I think John hit on it for me uh, most where it's it's Paris. It's, you know, the, the guys want to be there. Like, it's just one of those cities that, uh, like in L.A., like in New York, uh, you, you frequently see players uh, you know, at Paris Fashion Week and, and you know, different events there uh, over the summer. But I also think there's a, a level of desperation with USA basketball right now that we haven't really felt since 2008, right? Because if, if you look at the last couple of Olympic teams, they've been good. They, they, they've been really good. But it's kind of been B plus, maybe A minus rosters. Like the last real heavy hitting roster was 2012. And you know since then, LeBron hasn't played. Uh, Steph obviously hasn't played. No Kawhi, no Anthony Davis. So uh, you know KD's been kind of the, the one mega star that's been there throughout. But I, I think just looking back at... Uh, some of these recent Olympic teams, like, you know, I, it hasn't been the biggest stars or the biggest American stars, rather, uh, in the game. And I, I think if you look at that potential roster for uh, next season or next summer, like, I, I think that's that's a group we haven't seen since, again, you know, 2008 or 2012. So uh, to me, it, it shows like they are playing for something now that there are the, the stakes of if we don't send the best possible team not only is there a chance we lose, we're probably going to lose. You know, based on recent history, if they don't have the best you know roster possible, they're probably going to lose. So I think you know, Team USA has kind of been humbled in a way that uh, I don't think they had been really in in almost a decade. Now I agree with all that, and to give quick context for folks who kind of just loosely follow the international stuff, um, everybody knows that Team USA is expected to win gold, but that has obviously not been the case. On the FIBA side, every time out. Um, on the Olympic side, you're talking four straight golds in the Olympics. Uh, the bronze in 2004 in Athens, where they famously, you know, that sparked the Redeem team in Beijing four years later. But it's seven out of last uh, the last eight golds for Team USA, um, a bronze in 88, uh, you know, way back when. 
Uh, FIBA, different story. They get gold in 2010, 2014, and the uh, last two tournaments have gone seventh and fourth. The one thing that the program, you know, that Jerry Colangelo obviously was the architect of for so long here, that has not been able to pull off is convincing American players to have the years-long type of commitment to compete in FIBA World Cup and then transition to the Olympics. They are clearly now having to accept this kind of two-team approach. Um, and, and you know, I mean, I think it makes for intrigue next summer when all of these future Hall of Famers might get together. Although, Jovan, as a, as a quick aside, this made me laugh. You mentioned the Paris kind of factor and, and players being excited about playing in Paris. Shout out, I'm pretty sure this was Joe's paragraph from his piece today. Joe writes, uh, he said, let me find it here. He says, finally, the first part of the Olympic basketball tournament is not in Paris. It's public knowledge, but few NBA stars may realize that the preliminary games will be played in, pronunciation might be off, Lily, France, a one-hour, 40-minute train ride north from Paris. Metal rounds are in Paris, but his general point, I thought, landed that the idea that it's like, man, we get to go hoop. And, you know, kind of reestablish global domination after this abomination and then go live it up in Paris. Like, no, you're going to be on a train, you know, a lot or just stand out there for the, the opening rounds. But um, it's intriguing. The part that also hit me when this news landed. And I think, you know, John, you certainly can relate in terms of our careers and our timelines are kind of similar. I'm not going to lie. Like, I kind of got fired up when I saw the names because you're talking about players that you know that then when I started covering the league is when these guys got rolling. You know what I mean. So the idea from kind of the the part of me that can relate to the you know the OGs and the old head part of this going out in style, going out to win the gold like they clearly want to. Uh, I think that could be an absolute blast if they end up doing it. Yeah, I think that that's one other thing I wanted to hit on is that there is the time element of this. I mean, LeBron, like you said, is going to be thirty nine. Um, Steph is getting a little older, like a lot of the American superstars are getting up there in age. They're still great players. They're still very effective on the court, but this is different. Um, this is a different point at their careers. And, and so they look at, I think you look at it as how many more Olympics are LeBron is LeBron going to be able to play in is Steph going to be able to play in, um, and and so you, right now, like the uh, the whole American program is kind of in this period of transition. You know, you look at the NBA and the you know it's it's Jokic, it's Giannis, it's Embiid, it's it's a lot, it's it's Luca kind of at the top of the food chain, and we're kind of waiting to see who is that next American star that's going to come up and be ready to take over when LeBron eventually retires in 10 years and when, and when Steph does and all of these guys. And so um, we saw maybe some of those signs uh, in the Philippines, you know, with Edwards and, and, and a few others, but, um, but this is a timely factor too, of like, I think that some of these stars are looking and saying, I wonder how many of these I have left in me. I better take advantage of it while I'm able to. I mean, John, if you're going to throw the oop, then I got to finish it. You know what I Do mean? It. You, you, you kind of alluded to Mr. Edwards, and that is one of your many areas of expertise. Uh, and I want to unpack, you know, what he was able to do at FIBA World Cup, even with the unfortunate finish for them. Uh, Ant was the best player on the team, I think, by a long shot. Man, glimpses of his two-way play. Now, defense was a major problem for that team. It was historically bad on that end of the floor. 
But in terms of moments, you know, and again, you've seen it up close a lot more than I have. You you got reminded and kind of shown that Anthony Edwards has the potential to be a guy who is an absolute, you know, just kind of hell on wheels on both ends of the floor. Um, he ends up leading Team USA in scoring, you know, was dominant at times. Some discussion within their journey, and I, this stuff really interested me. Uh, you know, Steve Kerr initially talks about maybe bringing and off the bench. That doesn't happen. You know, that was, I think, the wise move. He's going to start, and then he ends up, you know, dominating quite a bit. Then you have internal, it seemed, discussions about uh, just the balance between scoring and passing and finding a way for him to, to you know, kind of rise the, the guys around him while doing his thing himself. These themes, and this is extremely hyperbolic, I admit, I'm watching these themes, John, and then I'll be honest, I'm also looking at Ant, who has like almost a physical resemblance to a, a guy by the name of Michael Jordan. And I'm, I'm, and I'm fascinated by the part of his journey that he is in because, you know, people a lot of times do forget that before Michael was the guy, again, disclaimer, hyperbolic, you don't put, talk about Michael with anybody. But for the sake of this discussion, before Michael was winning six titles, you know, going perfect in the finals, uh, he was the guy who was kind of butting his head up against the Pistons and, and other squads in the playoffs. And he was the score first, doesn't pass enough, selfish, you know, allegedly selfish, young rising star. Uh, some of those themes, uh, I think, are there a little bit with Ant. Uh, just in general, how did his journey hit you and, and what do you think it means for him going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think that from a Timberwolves perspective, I don't know that they could have been any more encouraged than they were by what they saw because one thing about, you know, we, we've had this discussion the last week or so about maybe the national attention that does or doesn't come the Timberwolves way and, and things like that. And I do think that there is an element of Anthony Edwards, the player, the teammate, all of those things that you you just have to be around to really understand and appreciate and soak up. And it's not until he gets in the locker room and it's not until he gets on the court with you that you really understand, you know, just the charisma, the leadership, the 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 physical dominance that he's capable of of displaying. And so that's why I do think that right away at the start of camp, you know, Steve Kerr in, did think about, hey, we're going to bring you off the bench and be like the spark plug. And it didn't take very long at all for him to realize, oh, no, this is a different dude. And we saw um, really that kind of emerged throughout the tournament is that he was the one guy who seemed to be most capable of taking the challenge on and bringing the fight to the other team, whether it was the comeback in Germany, you know, whether it was, um, you know, the, um, the loss and in 35 points and, and, and really just being one of the guys who could have so, uh, some success. And, and I just think that he, it was so clear that he was the guy and part of the, the, the offshoot conversation of sharing the ball and things like that, I think is just, a 22 year old learning how to play the game and empower teammates and do all of that. And I don't think he's selfish. I don't think there's anything like that, but I do think that the playmaking aspect of things, there's more nuance and complexity to it. And sometimes that takes a little time for you to be able to pick your spots. And when is it time to take over and get your own shot? When is it time to get other people going? He showed, he showed some, some steps in that direction, but I think he still has some things to learn there, but overall, you know, to see the way that he took charge of that team um, and and really separated himself from the rest of them. I think it's really good signs for the Timberwolves going into next season. 
Jovan, I want to get your thoughts here too, but quickly I will say to your point, John, uh, if you're talking about like preferred profile of an elite athlete, I will every day of the week go with the guy who like it is a very good problem to have when you can dominate all the time by yourself and you have to learn how to pull back. You have to learn how to share the ball differently, um, you know, because the vast majority of guys on the floor don't have that ability to, you know, to go out and dominate. And, and there were, again, times in this tournament where it popped for me. And I mean, he had a great year last year. But as you know, in the context of that Timberwolves roster and that landscape and and the crunchiness with the Rudy Gobert arrival, you know, in the Carl Anthony Towns history and Chris Finch trying to find his way, you know, Ant wasn't always, you know, having that wide open lane, uh, so to speak, to do his thing. Jovan, I mean, you've covered a lot of the best guys in the game and you've seen alpha males, so to speak, you know, find themselves and, and then, you know, eventually lead their teams. How do you see the, the Ant situation? Yeah, well, <clears throat> excuse me. I think John made a good point of this kind of being a slow burn for Ant. Uh, I was there in Las Vegas for the Team USA minicamp and uh, to me, it it seemed like Ant was clearly the best player on the team. But in talking to people, uh, I mean, remember Joe had uh, we, we did the poll where we talked to each player uh, on the roster and asked them who's been the best player in camp, who's the best player on the team right now, and Jaron Jackson Jr. was overwhelmingly uh, the, the the favorite there, and, and he obviously had some some pretty. <laughs> Good moments, but uh, yeah, I think by the yeah, end of didn't the tournament, turn out so well. Yeah, <laughs> didn't age great. Uh, yeah. But I, I think you know, to, to John's point, like Ant, uh, I I think it took him a little bit to adjust. I, I remember that that first scrimmage, uh, he was going ISO heavy a lot, and it was very much uh, my turn, your turn type basketball uh, with that starting group, and and that was something that. I feel like that group never, you know, fully figured out. It got better throughout the the, the tournament, but uh, I thought Ant was kind of the face of that at first. But as things got harder, as this group gelled, as they kind of figured out the the you know different ways to play, uh, to me, Ant obviously rose to the top, and it was clear he was the alpha on, uh, of this team. He was the best player on the team, and um, you know, I think he he was the the go to guy ultimately. So. Uh, I, I think we see this time and time again. I, I remember Kevin Durant in 2010, and you could go on uh, throughout uh, you know recent Team USA history of young guys stepping into another level of stardom uh, over the summer. And, and to me, Ant is the guy from this team that going into next year, can he be a top 10 guy? Can he be a top 15 guy? Like I think that's on the table. And with the way that he played, I, I think it's certainly possible. Yovan, you mentioned the the Jaron Jackson thing, and so I'll quickly highlight. It's like this, you know, this FIBA experience, and you just hit on Durant. That's the kind of the penultimate example of a guy who made the most of it, kept his career kind of ascending from there, and that is uh, something that often comes out of this experience, but it doesn't always go that way. You do see times when it doesn't mean these particular players are going to have bad NBA seasons, but man, Jaron Jackson Jr. goes from being the guy his teammates are voting his best in camp to, uh, you know, getting dominated on the glass and really not being impactful in the way that he is for the Grizzlies on most nights. That was strange. You know, Cam Johnson struggles, Brandon Ingram struggles. There are guys where, as I watched the tournament, man, from a human standpoint, you find yourself honestly feeling bad for him because first of all, once they lose out on the gold, we all know the expectations back home. So I don't care what they say, like they got on that plane, they felt like they failed and they, and they did in terms of the goal. Then on top of that, like, you know, Imagine being one of those 
players who decides to give up your summer and to go do this thing and thinks that it's going to help propel you for the forthcoming NBA season and then to just not have it pan out. Um, and there was a handful of guys like that. Um, I do, though, want to keep looking at things through the NBA lens. So, John, I'm going to throw it back to you. Give me more perspective and, and your thoughts on you know where this uh, kind of takes the T-Wolves and what you see out of them this season. They, they are on, I think, most people's short list of fascinating teams. Like you, you've got teams that are star-studded. We're going to watch, okay, in Phoenix, what's going to happen with with uh, Bradley Beal coming in, that whole group. Minnesota, in terms of a a fascinating, nuanced, you know, like used the word crunchy earlier, uh, a lot of folks are watching. Can they make this thing, you know, hum a little bit better in the second year with Rudy? Um, how do you see it now? Yeah, I mean, one, you know, obviously the encur- most encouraging thing is what you saw from Edwards and like seemed poised to take that next step. And, and I think that the thing that, that makes them most confident about where they're going with him in the middle of things is that he's had really good playoff performances in his first two series against Memphis. He was great against uh, Denver. He was really, really good. And so um, he has shown an ability when the lights are brightest to deliver and to be the kind of player that other teams just don't have an answer for. And that's the, like you said earlier, Sam, that's the hardest thing to I think acquire in the league. And so if you have that guy, that's a big step. The other good thing for them is that Carl Anthony Towns played really well for the Dominican Republic. He yeah, shot the ball. Sure. Well, looked like he was in great shape. Man mentally, of the people, Carl yeah, Anthony Towns. Yeah, man. Celebrate with the regular it. folks. Exactly. So he was having a lot of fun and he's kind of a vibes player. So when he's having fun, I think is when he's his most effective on the court as well. And so obviously him missing 52 games last year with his injuries um, led to a lot of the clunkiness, um, a lot of the disjointedness that you did see with Rudy, with the trade for uh, Mike Conley. It just like never gave this team any any foundation to build upon really and so i think that uh both edwards and towns are going to be in great shape coming into camp healthy co- you know coming off of really good uh, uh international play and and so that should allow them to be just on firmer footing and have a better idea of how to play now on the flip side of it we can say you know that they should be encouraged about uh ant and and cat but Rudy didn't play that well for France in in the international in FIBA, and France was a huge disappointment. And so I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on Rudy Gobert going into this. And is is he just was last year, and was was France just kind of some anomalous struggles, or was this the start of a decline? And at 30, 31 years old, and that's I think that's going to be the biggest answer or a question mark for them. And can they, can they get Rudy back to at least being, you know, really dominant defensively and, and helpful offensively, or are they really stuck trying to work around what they have with Rudy here? That's, that's a question mark going into camp. Last thought on that front, then we're going to take a quick break here, but what can you share about how you feel, where you feel like the front office and ownerships you know, perspective and, and kind of strategy is on that front right now. Meaning, you know, you wrote recently about all the discussion about Anthony Edwards and, and you know, Patrick Beverly saying that he needs to go somewhere else. And, and you kind of pointed out, hey, folks, he got a five-year contract that hasn't even started yet. So he's locked in for a long time. Um, huge money to Cat and to Rudy. When it comes to Tim Conley, 
you know, kind of more than anybody else, you know, head of that front office and the way he sees things, what sort of approach do you think they're taking to this season in terms of how patient they will be? You know, is it months? Is it still years with this group? Uh, how, how do you see that part? Yeah, I mean, this is a big season coming up for this core and what they're going to do with it going forward. Um, Ant got his extension. Jaden McDaniels is due to get a, a hefty extension um, himself. Rudy's making max money. Towns is making max money. And so uh, they want to give this every opportunity to work. They want to give this roster construction the ability to play together. And and they really want to see it. They don't they don't feel like they really got a good chance last season to do it. So they are going to get they're going into this wanting the best and wanting to see it it play out. But if it doesn't, if they stumble, if they are not making progress, if they're still in the play in conversation, if they're certainly if they're one and done in a playoffs or something like that again, and then you look at the financial penalties that are going to come with all of this money committed to all these guys, something would have to change. Um, and so I do think this is sort of a prove it season for this team. And if it's not going well in the first several months of the, uh, of the season, could they look to, you know, mix things up at the trade deadline? Maybe I think more likely is they will look next summer and see where let the dust settle and see where they're at before they make a, a drastic trade of any kind. But, um, but this is, this is the big season for, you know, will, Rudy be here for a long time. Will Cap be here for a long time? What's what's going to happen with Jane McDaniels? Like all of these things are going to play out in one way or another um, this season coming up. Good stuff. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Jovan, we've we've let you conserve all your energy. So on the other side, we're talking Lakers. We're talking Austin Reeves. Uh, it's always so exciting for me when our, our buddy Fred Katz is not on the show. I don't get in trouble for talking Lakers. We got a Lakers swear jar. I'm, I'm going all in, leaning in to the Lakers discussion on the other side of this break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mm, 
now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, gentlemen, let's do it. Not going to lie, always probably my favorite team to talk about just because there's always something with, you know, Lakerland. Um, Jovan, you and I have, have been in that ecosystem for years together now and and they are coming up on an incredibly interesting year you know a very surprising run to the west finals you know as darvin ham liked to point out so many times last season you know they had a infinitesimal chance of getting there after that awful start to the regular season and so the the macro question uh going forward here certainly is you know was the west finals some sort of peak or was it kind of a peak into their future? And that's what I think makes them so interesting. And within that, you've got young Austin Reeves, this kind of out of nowhere, rising, we want to call him a rising star, rising, you know, very strong role player, whatever label you want to put on him. Austin, um, it was, was part of this team USA group that again, fell short, but had a lot of good moments himself. We talked about Ant and the two way component of this game and as you guys know, because the poor guy just got, you know, memed like crazy all throughout the tournament, Austin's defense was something that went viral in the, the wrong kinds of ways. He got picked on a lot in switches. Um, and it was this really interesting, you know, just the, the pros and cons were right there, you know, to, to see on both ends of the floor. Because, you know, again, the defensive stuff, I think, did overshadow. I mean, he was offensively, you know, fantastic for a lot of that tournament. And, and I'm sure... Rob Palenka and that Lakers group loved what they saw there. But uh, I don't know why I'm talking so much about your team and, and the guy you cover. What What do you think? What did you see? You know, what what was the Austin Reeves experience? Yeah, uh, I, I think overall it was a very positive experience for Austin Reeves. Remember, this was a guy that when he made the roster, there were a lot of people saying he shouldn't have even been on the team. And they were referencing, you know, why isn't Trey Young on the team? Why isn't De'Aaron Fox on the team? What, what, you know, this guy's just on the team because he's a white Lakers role player. And, uh, you know, the there's a lot of Alex Caruso buzz, and then now it's been Austin Reeves. Uh, but, you know, for him to go from realistically being one of the last players, I, I think, to make the team, when, when you just look at the, the pedigree of some of the guys on the roster, to being, you know, in the top seven of the rotation, closing a lot of games... Uh, and I have the numbers here. He was second on the team in scoring behind Ant, 14 points a game, uh, 56, uh, 50, and 94 shooting splits uh, across field goal percentage, free throw, uh, three point percentage, and free throw percentage, and fifth in the team in assists. So, from an offensive perspective, I think Austin Reeves showed that that run he went on after the trade deadline and the Lakers remade their roster was legit. From that point, he averaged about 17 points and five assists, was the Lakers' clear number three option. And I think that's going to be his role next season and, and moving forward. And uh, I did a, a profile on him earlier in the summer, and we talked about Darvin Ham's comments of, uh, you know, about him potentially being an all star in, in the next couple of years. And that's one of Austin's goals. And I really think it's possible when you factor in LeBron and AD are going to miss. 15 to 25 games every season. That's just what we've seen over the last four or five years. So if you think about that and, and Austin Reeves' potential role when those guys are out, there's no reason to me that he can't average 18 to 20 points, four to five rebounds, five to six assists, and provide plus defense as a guard. I, I think 
with, with him, it's it's he defends like he defended Steph pretty well in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I think that's more of his natural position. Is he's a six foot five shooting guard who he can put the clamps on on point guards and shooting guards. You ask him to switch onto a six foot ten big man, especially with the FIBA style of play where. You can elbow guys. You can shoulder check guys. The refs are going to let you play. Yes, Austin Reeves is going to lose those battles. So on the one hand, I think it showed like he does need to continue to get stronger and uh, the, the Lakers need to find ways to like we saw some of that in the Denver series as well, where if, if he switched on to Aaron Gordon, Aaron Gordon's going to bulldoze him, get to the rim, you know, draw a foul, score, whatever. But that's just kind of the, the limitation of being a six foot five, you know, not athletic guard in the league like there is a a limitation there but for me Austin showed what he showed offensively to me trumps anything that he should you know didn't show defensively where he's again we're talking about some of these guys on the you know Anthony Edwards Jalen Brunson Mikhail Bridges like these are guys averaging 20 plus points a game leading playoff contending teams and Austin Reeves was the second leading scorer among the group so to me like you can you can nitpick B.I. Yeah, not even being able to get on the floor, a player of that caliber. You know what I mean? I mean, that that part, I think, was lost in the conversation that, that he competed and, and performed his way near the top. And I think if the coaching staff viewed him as that level of a defensive liability, he wouldn't have been closing games. Like at, at some point, it would have been like the trade-off isn't enough where and, and we've seen that like for the Lakers, it, it happened with D'Angelo Russell, where Denver ruthlessly picked on D'Angelo Russell. Now, he wasn't providing much offensively, so that kind of complicated things, uh, I think, uh, as well. But we've seen it in, in playoffs and high-stakes games. If you can't defend, you usually get pulled off the floor. And I think Austin was so valuable offensively that that definitely, to me, offset some of those defensive concerns. Now, they are legit, and I think the Lakers have to to bake that into their defensive game plan of, like, we can't have this guy necessarily switch onto a big man the way that Maybe an ant could, you know, ants around the same size, but obviously stronger, more athletic. Like, so there are limitations there, but I think much was made, you know, of that almost as as like a backlash to all the Austin positivity. Whereas again, this guy was second on the team in points, fifth in assists, and he was doing all that coming off the bench as one of the last guys to make the roster. Like to me, I I think we're overcomplicating things. Uh, John, before I throw it to you, I'll say a couple of quick things. For one, FIBA takeaways are hard, meaning, you know, we've tried to do that today, figure out what is substantive and what really tells you something versus what doesn't. All you got to look at is the fact that, you know, congrats to Germany for winning the whole thing. The idea of Dennis Schroeder, you know, who was you know, trying to get a job late in free agency, ends up with Toronto, a good, very good player, but Dennis Schroeder being the MVP tells you, you know, kind of how different. FIBA is. That's not disparaging FIBA. It is a team uh, game in, in every sense of the word. Um, you know, but you got Dylan Brooks dropping 39 points, you know, in the bronze medal game. Uh, Dylan just, I mean, he balled out all the way through the tourney. But takeaways are hard. The only thing I'll push back on Yovan on the Austin front in terms of the defensive liabilities in the tournament, I mean, the inherent nature of losing like Team USA did means you're going to bring scrutiny so you know that was the trade-off worth it in terms of what Steve Kerr and his staff decided to do ultimately I mean considering defensive struggles were the number one problem they faced considering in the bronze medal game guys like Dylan Brooks were getting off the way they were it's certainly not Austin's fault I mean you watch those games there was just zero resistance on the perimeter it was unbelievable in fact in the bronze medal game the commentators highlighted the fact that you know when Canada played Serbia two days before 
they just were not getting anything close to the looks that they got in that bronze medal game. So, um, you know, I mean that, but again, Austin on the whole, I think had a good experience. It's going to be a, a huge part of what the Lakers do this year. John, where are you at on the Austin Reeves debate? Because we got this, uh, not to put our people out there. We got this wildly entertaining athletic <laughs> NBA show group text yep. where people, people get loose and, you know, there's a handful of folks in there that, you know, probably think that I could beat Austin Reeves in one-on-one, uh, the way they talk about him. Uh, where do you land in this debate? Well, I'll say like covering a Minnesota team, uh, that's not in the spotlight all the time. There can be certainly some perception sometimes of a glow up that happens when you put on purple and gold and, and sometimes, Hey, Oh, they get talked about this or that because just because they're Lakers and, and actually they're not as good as what they're made out to be. I actually, when I look at Austin Reeves am on the other side of it. Um, I think he's a high level role player. Um, I think you, what you, what, what stands out to me most when I watch him play is I think his teammates love playing with him. I think he's one of those guys that goes out and fits in to a scheme and a system and earns respect very quickly. And, you know, is he a number one or number two guy? No. Will he be ever be an all-star? I don't know about that. Maybe he will, but, um, but what every, he, he's the kind of player that every really good team needs. Uh, He can shoot it. He can put the ball on the floor a little bit. He passes it. He will get after you defensively in the right matchups. Um, and and do things for you. And I think that contract that the Lakers got him on is fantastic. Like, I think that's going to be a great value for them. I was surprised that another team with space didn't make it at least a little harder on the Lakers to, um, to, to, to come up with something that they had to match. That would have been at least a little bit of a pinch for them financially. So um, I, I think he, I'm, I'm a fan of Austin Reeves in that regard. Um, you know, one of the things that I saw when, you know, he, he was on, on the floor in crunch time and he could, he could make shots and, and, and kind of create his own a little bit. And that's, that's a valuable, I think one of the other reasons is they didn't have team USA disappointingly didn't have anyone else to come out and defend like that. I thought bridges were going to be better defensively. Ant um, is really good on the ball, but sometimes loses his guy off of the ball um, on the perimeter and so, you know, and Jalen Brunson just isn't Who, that. I know we're guilty, you know, media inherently, again, is like Monday morning quarterback, and literally mm-hmm. it's Monday morning we're doing that. But, John, if, you know, if you're looking at it again and, and saying, all right, some of Austin's minutes defensively, maybe they should have gone to this guy or that guy. I mean, Josh Hart comes to mind, you know. but Yeah, you know. but he does. But he was such a liability to offensively shot-making-wise that – um, I don't I don't know that he's the guy like I mean, that's why I, I don't know that they had another option to put out there. Ingram just this was not the tournament for him. This was not the team for him. He did not look ready for it um, and and doesn't, didn't look like a good fit that way. Um, Cam Johnson was meh. You know, they're just about 23 percent. And I yeah. know it's low sample size, but my I mean, goodness. I wonder if you if you could have played more Walker Kessler and, and just at least given it a look of like what yeah, is maybe. What does a Kessler Paolo front court look like? What does a Kessler Jaron Jackson Jr. front court look like? Because my my thing was ultimately like, I you know I, I don't want to scapegoat anybody because I, I think in a situation like this that there are there's plenty of blame to go around. But I do feel like Jaron Jackson Jr. and the foul trouble. Oh like, yeah, this yeah. was stuff we Great saw with Memphis. That this was kind of like the the worst version of Jaron Jackson Jr., which was you know gets into foul trouble 
doesn't rebound well and ultimately can kind of be played off the floor or, or played into um, it, you know kind of an ineffective style where now he's in foul trouble and he can't be as aggressive as he normally is. And I think th- then when you have him as your last line of defense and then you're playing basically four guards or like a wing and three guards – yeah, you're not going to be good defensively. You're not going to be good on the glass. Like that was it. Like ultimately, to me, it was a size thing. They the got crushed. The problem for sure. They got crushed on on the glass. Second chance points, points in the paint. Like they were just too small. And again, if you're asking, you know, we're, we're talking about Austin, so I'm going to use him as an example. But like, if you're asking Austin Reeves to guard six foot ten uh, bigs in, in in a FIBA tournament, like yeah, you're you're going to probably lose. But if if he's more properly slotted as an actual shooting guard defending guards and you either have a counter you you either don't switch as much or you just have more collective size where like if you do switch now you have bigger guys helping or or bigger guys uh, on the weak side like that to me is is a more formidable strategy so again we can sit here and and as you said you know monday morning quarterback and hindsight's always 2020 with, with these types of things but i do think it was clear Team USA was consistently getting slaughtered in the paint and on the glass and playing one big for a lot of the time, I don't think help ma- uh, helped matters. It's Monday morning point guard, I guess. I, I got yeah. that wrong. Jovan, uh, <laughs> let's take it back to the Lakers. Um, who are they this year? You know what I mean? Like, uh, again, I hit on it earlier. Like, was the West Finals, you know, the, the best version of them? Now, Rob Palenka, again, very, very good summer. You know, he, he re-ups with Rui Hachimura, D'Angelo Russell, Gets Austin at a good number, and, and John alluded to this earlier. If you have any context, you feel like sharing on, you know, what you learned about Austin's market this summer and how they did land on. And get, I forget the numbers. I'm rusty on on uh, Austin's four, contract. Four fifty four. Yeah, I mean that's wild. Player player option year four. Extremely team friendly exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know, given, he'll opt out, and yeah. You know, given the economy that that the league is looking at this summer, that that was a, a fantastic deal for the Lakers. Um, so I guess start there. Why, why, why didn't anybody else around the league end up applying the kind of pressure that was going to cost the Lakers? Yeah. So the, the two teams that were, uh, interested in, in Austin or had the most interest in Austin were San Antonio and Houston and with Houston, um, from my understanding had the Fred Van Vliet situation not happened. Austin was next on their list or, or in that next tier for them of, of guys they were going to try and sign. Obviously, Fred Van Vliet gets that monster deal and uh, that, you know, he ends up not being a need for them. Uh, and then San Antonio was the team that, uh, you know, uh, Reeves and his camp were going back and forth with and, and ultimately instilled a deadline with in terms of, hey, like we have this offer from the Lakers. It's a great offer. Uh, of course, we'd like more money, and, and, and that would be something nice. But uh, San Antonio w- w- was being very uh, diligent and patient uh, in, in terms of making a formal offer, and, and they were considering, uh, you know, potentially uh, some type, you know, a three-year, sixty million dollar deal where that would still poison pill the Lakers in, in the third year, or uh, something along the lines of, of the four-year max, which would have been around four years, a hundred million, but. Um, ultimately, uh, you know, they, they chose not to do it at least by the deadline. They wanted to see how the free agent market played out. Reeves and his camp didn't want to just be out there uh, in the game of musical chairs. And, and then the Lakers, you know, once San Antonio is gone, the Lakers have no incentive really uh, other than just goodwill and, and keeping the partnership good 
to offer him that max. So I think for them, they, they just chose the guaranteed money and he loves LA. He, he, you know, he's made it clear. He feels at home. Uh, they, they've got a great relationship with Jeannie Buss. They've got a great relationship with the front office. Uh, he loves LeBron. Taylor uh, Swift got, is out there sometimes. Taylor, Taylor Swift is sometimes <laughs> out. It's much more realistic than a, a, a random Arkansas bar. I will say that, uh, him, him running into Taylor Swift there. So, uh, I, so as far as where the Lakers are, to me, they're they're third in the West in my pecking order. Uh, I think Denver, you got to give them their respect. Uh, I do think the depth is a bit of an issue. They are betting on uh, Christian Brown and, and Peyton Watson, both taking jumps uh, next season. And I think you know that starting lineup to me is the best lineup in basketball. But beyond that, I, I don't really you know I didn't love the the Reggie Jackson signing. I think there's still a hole at, at backup center. Uh, like if any one of those five guys suffers an injury, I think they're more susceptible to lose games or, or be at a disadvantage than other contenders. Uh, and then I love Phoenix. I think Phoenix is a potential sleeping juggernaut. Uh, I think they're one of the few teams that could potentially win 60 games next season. And Do juggernauts uh, sleep? I've never pondered this question before. Sorry. <laughs> well, I think people sleeping just giant, are underrating yeah, yeah. how, like, I think, like, if you told me, you know, let's flash forward nine months from now, and Phoenix wins 60 games and like just dominates in the playoffs and goes like, I don't know, 16 and five. Like, I wouldn't be shocked by that. And I, I think a lot of people would. I, I just think with that collection of talent and shooting, guys who could play on and off the ball, I love their vet minimum signings. I think they crushed it, uh, you know, in, in bargain hunting. So to me, Phoenix is like you, the defense and the health are obviously two major things. And that could go a, a bunch of ways. But how do you I see, see the, the upside point guard question? I, mean, we I think they're fine. I, I think yeah. like De- Devin Booker and Kevin Durant to me running an offense. It's like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think like it's, to me, it's similar to the Clippers where we've seen the clip, like the Clippers with PG and Kawhi running the offense. I mean, th- when they're healthy again, health is a big thing with, with this team, but like when the Clippers are healthy, they made a, a, co- a conference finals run. Like they've looked like, they can win a championship. They just can't stay healthy. And that's my thing with Phoenix. If they can stay healthy, I, I think they're going to figure it out. Then for me, yeah, the Lakers I'd... are right there at, at number three, where I, I think it's weird because they made the conference finals and I think they got better, but I still like Phoenix and Denver more. Uh, but to me, I mean, it's always dependent on match. Like maybe Phoenix and Denver get slotted on the same side of the West bracket and you know they have to play each other in the second round. And that allows the Lakers to then make a conference finals. Then you got to only beat one of those two. But uh, I do think for as, as much as the Lakers got better, my one criticism I'll say, I, I don't love the additions of, of Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes. I don't think it helps the interior. As I think it helps the interior offensively. Jackson Hayes, rim runner, athletic, lob threat. Uh, Christian Wood, most talented offensive big that has played with Anthony Davis, in my opinion, uh, just with his uh you know ability to score in the post ability to score in isos three-point shooting like all that stuff's great but defensively that is a a considerable step down from the javel mcgee dwight howard pairing that the lakers keep referencing like christian wood and jackson hayes are not in the same ballpark as those two guys defensively and the notion that like they're going to step in and recreate that 2019 20 magic to me just doesn't make any sense it's not realistic and if you're going to put one of those two guys on Jokic in a playoff series, <laughs> he's going to feast. Like if, if you thought it was bad what he did to Anthony Serbian Davis, uh, like it, it's it's going to be bad. So 
the Lakers still have to figure that out to me. Where they need at some point in the regular season, whether it's a signing or a trade, they need a better defensive big other than AD that they can trust to at least defend. Like you're not going to stop Jokic, but can you not foul out in like eight minutes against him? Like they still need that guy to meet. Uh, so that's my one criticism. But otherwise, I think they're better, much better shooting, better depth. Uh, I like some of the role players, like Gabe Vincent, Torian Prince. I think this is a better group, but I, I still think the interior defense and, and the rebounding are two concerns for me that they have not uh, addressed yet. John, I didn't know that Jovan was going to come with receipts. He got his his West rankings here. Yeah, <laughs> telling us we're not ready for that yet. You better be. I'm. I'm. The, we're going to finish with you. I'm going to throw it back to you because I am guilty because I'm West Coast based. You know, yeah. of being West Coast uh, centric with some of my coverage. Oh, admittedly. I know. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> but like the West is wild. I know it's a cliche, but I, you know, yet again, you look at the West. I got the standings in front of me from last year, and and you know, Jovan laid out a very logical argument. I, I can't really argue with the you know the reasoning behind some of your choices, Jovan. But in terms of just looking at the context here, um, you've got it going Denver, Phoenix, Lakers. That means you see the Lakers as Better than a Memphis team that even though they're going to be without John Morant for 25 games, you know, re-upped with Desmond Bain, added Marcus Smart. I'm actually pretty high on the Grizzlies going into next year, although apparently, you know, Dylan Brooks should have been on that team because that guy's going to be in the MVP discussion the way he looked with uh, Team Canada. But Clippers loaded if they're healthy. Warriors are the Warriors are leaning into making another run. OKC with Shea Gilgis-Alexander showing out the way he did and looking like a superstar. The Pelicans, if they're healthy. The Mavs, Kyrie Luka. You go all the way down the list. And the list, I'm going to say it stops right there. That's the end of the list. Your T-Wolves are somewhere in there. If you're taking the dart and throwing it at the board, where do you see them? Yeah, I mean, I I think that unfortunately like it's not good for podcasting but there's a lot of variance for them um i think if things come together um if they figure out some spacing offensively and you get a rudy that is a little bit closer to what he was in utah um then i think they can be a five or a four seed in the regular season what they do in the playoffs who knows like that's i think that's the real question for them but um, but I, I could see a scenario where they do get up that high um, in the regular season because they have a lot of talent. I mean, you you know, you have Jaden McDaniels, you have Nas Reed, Nikhil Alexander Walker looked good um, in, in did, FIBA. Yeah. Like there's they, they have a lot of talent from like one through nine that 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 is good. But it does it all fit together. And if it doesn't, if Rudy continues to struggle, if they can't figure out the two big thing. Um, then I could see him down around nine, 10. Like, um, I think, I think the variance is there for them. Their hope obviously is, is if Edwards takes that next step into top 10, 15 guy, maybe he's, maybe he just raises the floor enough almost on his own to do that. But, um, but they are going to go into this season, I think with, as big of a gap between where their ceiling is and where their floor is as almost anybody in the West. I don't know what you're talking about. That's great for podcast promotion. We're going to have a tweet. Our team is going to jump on it. John Krasinski, T-Wolves have variants. I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that is shocking, just, that's going to yeah. pop. Click, click, click. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I mean, you know, and that's where it's interesting with all these groups. Uh, I am admittedly, we joked off air before coming on that we're all kind of coming out of our holes again. The off season has, has been deep for a while, but 
the season is upon us. It'll be a lot of fun. Guys, I appreciate you jumping on here in the, the end of the dog days of summer. Uh, great seeing your faces. Thank you, as always, to the loyal listeners, and we will talk to you soon.